This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that shines a light on the winners and losers of everyday history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at the origin of one of the most polarizing board games to see who's really to blame for Monopoly. The day was November 5th, 1935. Parker Brothers begins selling Monopoly, a board game based on the real estate of Atlantic City, New Jersey. The company had bought the rights to the game from an out-of-work heating contractor named Charles Darrow. The game, as you may know, became a huge success, and Darrow eventually made millions off it in royalties. For the press and the public, Darrow represented the American dream come true. When he was down on his luck, he came up with a million-dollar idea and changed his fortunes through ingenuity and hard work. A reporter for the Germantown Bulletin in Philadelphia asked Darrow, as many did, how he came up with a concept for Monopoly. He modestly replied, quote, It's a freak, entirely unexpected and illogical. But here's the thing. None of that was true. Charles Darrow hadn't invented Monopoly by chance. In fact, he hadn't invented Monopoly at all. While the game as we know it was launched in 1935, the earliest version dates back to 1897, when it was created by a progressive activist named Elizabeth Maggie, as a way to explain the tax theory of economist Henry George. Maggie was a proponent of George's single tax movement, which pushed for one tax on land to replace all other taxes. George claimed the single tax program would boost the economy by redistributing wealth, reducing poverty, and breaking up monopolies. Maggie wanted to win support for George's proposals, and she decided that a board game would be the best way to explain his ideas to a middle-class audience. That may sound like a strange assumption, but it did make sense at the time. At the turn of the 20th century, the workday was getting shorter, and many members of the middle class were spending a lot more time at home. Playing board games became a popular pastime, and a lot of people started making up their own elaborate games to share with their family and friends. Maggie used the homemade board game trend as a kind of Trojan horse, for getting Henry George's ideas into her neighbor's living rooms. At first, Maggie worked on two different versions of her game while living in Brentwood, Maryland. The first would feature gameplay based around George's anti-monopolist proposals, and the second version would feature monopolist gameplay, where players would compete to own as much property as possible until they had driven everyone else bankrupt. In the end, the Monopolist game was a lot more fun to play, so Maggie focused on that version. In 1903, she submitted it for patent under the name The Landlord's Game. It was a little different than the Monopoly game we know today, but all the core features were there. The original game was played with fake money that the players used to pay rent and taxes and to purchase property, which was granted in the form of a deed. Players moved around the board, 
earning and losing money depending on where they landed. There was a railroad space on each of the board's four sides, and the public parking and jail spaces were tucked in the corners, just like they are today. And lastly, the game ended when all but one player ran out of money. To produce and market her game, Maggie partnered with a New York firm. The deal made her barely any money, but it accomplished her true goal, which was to get ordinary people thinking about economic policies. The Landlord's Game was especially popular in the northeastern United States, where it was a big hit on college campuses and in Quaker communities. By now, you might be wondering how Charles Darrow got the credit for Elizabeth Maggie's game. The answer goes back to the proliferation of board games that I mentioned earlier. When a board game got an official release, like Maggie's had, lots of people would rip off the design and make their own copies either to keep for themselves or to sell. By the 1930s, there were multiple different, unofficial versions of the Landlord's Game, many of which had slightly different rules or features. Some versions even went by the name Monopoly. Sometime in the early 1930s, Charles Darrow and his wife Esther played one of these copycat versions while at a Quaker friend's house for dinner. Darrow had never heard of the game before and thought it was genius. He asked his friend to write up all the rules and details so he could make a copy for himself. But Darrow's real goal wasn't just to have a good time. Like countless others, he and his family had been hit hard by the Great Depression and would do almost anything to escape their dire straits. To that end, Darrow took the modified version of the game made by the Quaker community and began selling his own homemade sets of the game. He pretended he had come up with the whole thing himself in his basement, but even the Monopoly name he sold it under was actually taken from someone else's version. It's hard to tell if Darrow added anything original to the game besides some artwork. It doesn't seem likely, though, as he copied the game so closely from his friend that the boards even had the same misspelling. Marvin Gardens, spelled with an I, even though the New Jersey neighborhood it refers to is actually spelled with an E. Despite it being a completely stolen concept, Darrow pitched the game to Parker Brothers in 1934, but was rejected. They weren't convinced a real estate game could be much fun, and the complicated rules seemed to confirm their suspicion. However, Darrow managed to get his version of Monopoly onto shelves at FAO Schwartz, and the game made a killing that Christmas. The next year, Parker Brothers rethought their decision and bought the game rights from Darrow. The company paid him $7,000 up front, or about $125,000 today, plus residuals, which proved to be substantial. In its first year on the market, the Parker Brothers edition of Monopoly sold nearly 2 million copies. Today, almost 90 years later, you can add about 275 million more copies to that total. Or, to put it another way, more than 6 billion green Monopoly houses and 2 and a quarter billion red hotels. But what about Elizabeth Maggie? Did the real inventor of the game get a share of all that Monopoly money? Not really. Eventually, as the game got more popular, Darrow confessed to the company that 
his game may not have been as original as he made it seem. To protect their investment and stave off potential lawsuits, Parker Brothers started buying up the rights to other versions of the game. This eventually led them back to Maggie, who was thrilled to sell the rights to The Landlord's Game for the handsome sum of a few hundred dollars, and no future royalties. One of the shadiest parts of the story is that Maggie had no idea about the success of Darrow's Monopoly when she made the deal with Parker Brothers. She eventually figured out what was going on, but by then, it was too late. As Charles Darrow grew richer off the game's success, Elizabeth Maggie and her role in its creation were all but forgotten. She died in 1948, and it wasn't until 25 years later that the world would hear her name again. In 1973, an economics professor named Ralph Anspach became embroiled in legal trouble with Parker Brothers over his creation of a game called Anti-Monopoly. He started researching in the hopes of finding something to weaken the company's hold on the rights to Monopoly. His search led him to the story of Elizabeth Maggie and the true history of the game's authorship. It took about a decade, but Onspock eventually won in court and was allowed to keep selling his game. Today, the Monopoly and Parker Brothers brands are owned by Hasbro, which acquired them in 1991. The company continues to downplay Maggie's role in the game's development, insisting that full credit for the official Monopoly game belongs solely to Charles Darrow. Elizabeth Maggie deserves credit for her ideas, but I don't think she'd be surprised that it's still being denied to her nearly a century later. We don't think of Monopoly as something with a message, but in her original conception, the game had one, and it still has some relevancy today. As she wrote in 1902, quote, It is a practical demonstration of the present system of land grabbing, with all its usual outcomes and consequences. It might well have been called the game of life, as it contains all the elements of success and failure in the real world. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you can let me know your favorite Monopoly token by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Mine is The Wheelbarrow. Thanks as always to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.